Kia ora. Welcome to 168 Days of Magic. This is the podcast that invites you to empower your creative spirit and get stuck into a project that nourishes, nurtures and excites you. Each episode, we'll be looking at how mindfulness, productivity and creativity all come together to give you the power, stamina and resilience to bring something new into the world. My name's Jordan Harcourt-Hughes and I'm an artist living on New Zealand's stunning Kapiti Coast, which is just an hour north of Wellington. I'll be your host and creative champion on this journey and I'll also be introducing you to some other wonderful people along the way, including some of our other local artists, wellbeing practitioners and life coaches to help us on our journey. Well, it's great to have you with me for another episode of the podcast today. On the creativity front, I'm going to be talking about getting feedback on your work. My podcast chat is with Rosemary Nelson, an environmental designer and feng shui consultant. And from a mindfulness perspective, we'll be exploring beginner's mind. So my habit of late at the beginning of a new episode is to discuss this idea of why creative projects are good for us. So today I'm thinking about how they can help us actually state our intention to the universe. And this comes because of the fact that we are really zeroing in on doing something. We're focusing our attention and that focus helps us put out something into the world that we really believe in. So in his book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, Deepak Chopra writes, attention energizes and intention transforms. Whatever you put your attention on will grow stronger in your life. Whatever you take your attention away from will wither, disintegrate and disappear. So that's a great philosophy to take. And the more we attend to it, the more we turn up and bring our attention to this work, the more capable we are of delivering the work, of talking about the work and bringing something new into the world that's really meaningful and something that we really believe in. So that's a great rationale for a cred project. So a really good reason to get stuck into one and also to keep focusing on it, keep trying, keep experimenting and keep delivering. Today we're talking about getting feedback on your creative project. So I'm going to talk to you a few things. Firstly, why you should get feedback, when to get feedback, how to frame up your request for feedback, and then what to do when you've actually got it. So on that first point, why get feedback? Well, feedback gives us fresh perspective. It's always good to see things through the eyes of others and asking a bunch of people to look at your work helps you understand how people are going to engage with it and get information and insight and inspiration from it. And that can all help feed into how we refine our work. Getting feedback also helps us improve our skills. And in addition, it demonstrates to others that we're dedicated, we're driven to succeed, and that we believe in the work. We want it to be the best it can be. Getting feedback on your creative project can actually also increase your ability to grow in other ways. So for example, in other real life environments such as your day job, learning how to ask for feedback and take on and experiment with suggestions for improvements really shows that you're willing to put in the effort to grow and advance. Feedback also gives us the ability to fix things quickly before, before we go out to market with things. So this comes from the fact that we get so deeply embedded in our projects, we don't really have those fresh eyes anymore. So in addition to the fresh perspective that people bring with them when they review our work, they can also see the things that we've missed. So glaring errors that are really clear to us, we may have just been looking at them for so long that we don't even see them anymore. So that's a really helpful um, component of seeking feedback. 
The other thing that seeking feedback allows is to learn from other people, and in particular other creative people. And you might be surprised how generous people are when you ask them to take a look at your work. So on to the next point, when to get feedback. There's a real trick, I think, to getting feedback in the sense that you don't really want to do it too early. So in the embryonic stage of a creative project, we are still building our ideas and developing the concept. And that's really a time where we want to protect our idea because it's very young, uh, it's still soft and malleable. And we want to make sure that we've got our own vision for this thing to be clear before we let other people start fiddling with it. So times to get feedback can be when you've been working away at things for a bit and you're ready to step back and take a breather. It may be that you've gotten a bit stuck um, it may be that you're not sure how far you've progressed and whether you're actually working towards something that's going to deliver on the ambition of your original idea. So that's a good time to ask people what they think of the project and how they think you're going. It may be that you've done the groundwork and you're ready to take it to the next level, but you're not quite sure how to do it. That's a great time to get feedback. It may be that you want to get feedback when you're ready to test your message or, or your idea to see if people understand what you're trying to say with it. Uh, another time to get feedback is when you've gotten to the point of maturity in your project where you actually may need more help. So there may be skill sets that you don't have. Uh, and this is where people can come in and give you some guidance and tips on how to gather other um, skills and capabilities around you to help you get over the final stages of your project. And of course, one of the best times to get feedback is when you're ready to launch. So always Always, always, always have a time to get feedback before you put something out into the world. So it's great that you're ready to launch. It's great that you love it. But part of any quality assurance approach is to make sure that you've tested it, you've let people tinker with it, and you make sure it's not easily broken so that you've worked through all the possible things that people could come up against. Is the messaging clear? Is the idea clear? Is how people will use it clear? Is the pathway to purchase clear? Is the experience that you want people to have with it clear? All of these things can get tested right up to the very end. And really, you want to do this testing through review and feedback before you launch because, you know, you've spent so much time and energy on it. This is that great time to just make sure that it's as good as it possibly can be. So how do you frame up a request for feedback? So my guidance here is to help people help you. As much as possible, in my opinion, you wanna stay away from subjective feedback. You don't wanna be getting responses like, I like it, or I love it, or I hate it, or I don't like it, because that's not particularly helpful for you. And it's so subjective that you'll get a different response from every person you ask. So it's not gonna help you progress or refine your work. It's helpful to be able to explain what you're trying to do and what you want to achieve so that they have some context and they understand. So be as clear as you possibly can. Guiding your critiquer may include actually giving them a one-page cheat sheet and saying, here are the five things that I'd like you to feedback on. Uh, and that will help them help you with positive, productive feedback. So on to the next thing, how to receive feedback. So firstly, keep an open mind. When you get feedback from someone, just defer judgment about whether you agree with it or not. Think about the person that you've asked for feedback. There's a, probably a really good reason that you've chosen them. They're likely to be um, someone that you trust, someone that's an expert in their field, someone that's got good credentials, someone that's got great experience, or someone that's just got real wisdom. So remember that they will be trying to help you and really just be in the moment with it and don't react or respond too quickly. Just let them give you the feedback that they have. 
Another good thing to do is ask questions. So the feedback is really only going to be helpful for you if you actually understand it. So if you're not clear, ask for clarification um, so that you can more fully understand what they're suggesting that you adapt or change or revisit or tinker with. And then, of course, say thank you. Show that person that you appreciate the time that they put into considering your work and providing feedback. And then, of course, give yourself time to reflect. Finally, how to implement feedback. Take a beat, take a moment. You don't have to implement feedback straight away. Just sit with it for a while and see how you feel about it. And maybe get to a point where you don't have any emotional reaction to it at all. It's just feedback. Another good thing to do is not put all your eggs in one basket. So get feedback from a bunch of people. I always like to get feedback from, you know, anywhere between three and five people because that makes me feel like I'm getting a balanced perspective. Also consider the timings and stages of implementing the feedback that you've gotten. So there might be some small things that you can do right now in the moment. There are potentially some things that you can look to do down the track and then maybe some things to do just before you launch. So you don't have to implement everything at once. And finally, listen to your instincts. Feedback is great, but it's up to you about how much of the feedback you take on board. It's your project, it's your baby, you are still the owner of it. Um, so have a think about what's resonating with you uh, and what feels good and right and sensible. If you feel that you are really struggling with a piece of feedback and you don't think that that feedback is gonna help you create a better piece of work, then you can park it and just leave it. I've got a general rule of thumb and that is the rule of three. So if I get feedback from a bunch of different people, if I get feedback about one particular thing once, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. If two people give me the same feedback, I will definitely be taking notes. And if three people give me the same feedback, I'm definitely gonna be making some changes. So you might wanna think about your own rules about what is the trigger point for making changes to your project based on the feedback that you get. So those are some things to consider when you're asking for feedback. So keep it all in mind. But remember, after you've gotten feedback, just think about it, think about what you can implement, think about what feels instinctively right for you, and then move on. It's not the biggest thing in the world, it's just a helpful part of the process of a creative project and how we can make it uh, the best that it can be. So good luck with getting your feedback. So I'm really pleased to have Rosemary Nelson chatting with us on the podcast today. Rosemary is an environmental designer and feng shui consultant. She's got over 30 years as a landscape designer and she's helped homeowners, artists, businesses, schools and even multinational hotel chains design supportive environments. As a feng shui consultant, she helps people explore the energetic patterns of their environments and guides them through harnessing the energy so that they can create the life they want. Rosemary, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here with us. Now, you're a feng shui consultant. Tell us what that involves and how you got into that line of work. Yes, um, I got into feng shui purely as a backup to what I did as a landscape designer. I wanted a sort of a holistic response to it rather than go down the, you've got to have such and such product. So feng shui fitted the bill for me, but I didn't realise how exciting and... <laughs> involving Fensway was and it really does you know draw you in to actually want to know more. Why is space so important to our well-being? Um, space is so important because a lot of people don't understand how to use space mm -hmm. as a tool, how, how to use space as a, um, 
something that can actually be mindfulness, how to use space for something to create something in your life, how to invite something in your life. And all the, all the Bhagwa map has that all contained in it. Mm. And so when you learn this, you can actually say, well, I'm going to look at that corner and get rather interested in what's going on there. Mm. Like you could look at that corner with that blue painting and say, why did I pick choose blue? And you know, just pull it apart. Mm. And then how do you feel in that space? Mm. And then if you look at the traditional Bhagwa map, you can actually see what that space represents in your home ah, and what element is in that space. Yeah. And so it sort of unfolds as you get into it to how that fits you. So can you explain the map? What's, the, what's it called? This is the traditional Bagua, Bagua map, yeah. which is a broken-down version of the low pan, the traditional measurement um, okay. template. This basically takes the ho your whole home into nine spaces it divides it up into nine goods wow. and each one of these is an energetic construct that relates to a star oh. out, in, out in the cosmos it's a virtual star but it's vibrational so each from the center of your home it reaches out through that particular area out to that vibration mm. and pulls it into your home now when you see that every one of these has got a vibration some are fast, some are slow, some are, are, are very weak, might, mm. some might be seasonal, mm. so that each has a different place. And so that's why you know, space is important, just grabbing it and yeah. saying, well, what's going on here? How can I use this or how do I change this for a what reason? Fantastic. And one of the services you offer as a consultant is space clearing. Uh, what, what is it and why does it help? Space clearing is basically more a meditative spiritual side of Fensway because, mm -hmm. you know, Fensway is not a religion, it's a science. But you use it in someone's home if perhaps past usage in the home, if you've moved into a new home and you want to say, look, I just like it cleared for my vibration. Mm -hmm. So the, the home spaces can be set to you and your vibrations. Um, often it can be that people are worried about the fact of sleeping on water lines and fire lines, you can actually douse and find out if that is so. Or if it's really negative energy, how to use earth acupuncture to actually shift that. Okay. Um, and why do people have concerns about sleeping on water lines or fire lines? What, water what lines they? are very bad for your health. Okay. If, you, if you're actually sleeping on one, it can actually be cancerous. Um, it's really, really important to know where you're sleeping. <laughs> And what is a waterline? What is it? It's, it's just an underground, basically, veins in the soil. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. And the same with fire lines. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, so space clearing is, but basically if it's a simplistic space clearing, I'd go to someone's home and perhaps sage it, perhaps get them to set intentions for their home. You know, what do you want this home to do for you? Have a conversation with it. And so that you're getting into a communication of what your home means to you. Mm. That's lovely. Yeah. And so do you think we can be in communication with space and with the natural environment? Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now you've written about the importance of placement with feng shui. What are some of the intricacies around touchstones and energy exchange? Our touchstones are more... Um, Things that perhaps ground people, you know, 
um, they might be something from a um, from family connection, um, or it could be a, a precious stone, but it's it's something that actually grounds you mm. into a space. And that can actually often just benefit you to feel that you belong in this house. Because a lot of people, especially from overseas, they haven't got their grounding cords here in New Zealand. Mm. They've got to put down that into a home. When you move into it, you have to actually ground yourself. Mm. Lovely. Mm. Now, you also design and are interested in labyrinths. How did that come about? <laughs> um, one of my teachers, I did most of my training in Sydney and in, in Australia, and she was a labyrinth master. And it's fantastic. I'd like to do more because that's bringing my landscaping skills in. Yeah. It's basically, it's Celtic in originality. It goes back to when they couldn't do pilgrimages anymore, so they actually yes. built a construct. And it's like a path. It's a pathway. So you walk into the circle of the labyrinth and ground what you want to perhaps have information on, and then you walk out. Mm. Very simplistic labyrinths work as much as very complicated ones because when you're walking in, you're actually walking on your chakras of your body. You're actually finding points in your body that you can actually see where your blockages are. That's the, the earth is picking up that. That's interesting. I haven't heard that interpretation before. That's why they use it a lot in hospices and places yeah. like that. People can actually use it for healing. Mm -hmm. I went to one in San Francisco and it was under the San Francisco Bridge and it was a huge one. I was my teacher at the time. Yeah. And people were having picnics, bringing people ashes and sitting in the labyrinth. Wow. I thought, my goodness. Yeah. But it was, when you thought about it, that's perfect. They take their pain and put it in. Yes. And instead of walking a, a pilgrimage, they just let it go there. Yeah. And when you say um, the, sh the chakras are connected to that process of walking in and out of a labyrinth, how much do people actually need to know about chakras and, and so yeah. on? It's bit the, the less you know, the better. Oh. I always tell people if they feel something or a knot in a particular part of their body, yeah. often it's in the sacral chakra, um, just stand there and just let it go. Yes, nice. Shake yourself or yeah. uh, get kind of interested what your unconscious mind will bring up for you. Yeah. Often it might bring up a person yeah. or it might bring up um, just a, a particular event in your life. Mm. And that's when you say, oh, that's very interesting, mm. and then move on. And finally, what are your three top tips for people wanting to live in harmony with the environment? Harmony is a very interesting word. <laughs> um, and... I'll come to that last, but the first thing I recommend people do is open the front door, 10 minutes, quarter of an hour a day, and just open the front door. People have, don't no longer open doors, no. and that, what that does is let things in, it lets the energy flow in, and it circulates around the house. People often say, I want this in my life, I want to um, achieve this, but they don't allow it to come, and opening the front door... Don't allow it to flow in. That's just lovely. <laughs> and so simple. It's so simple and it's something I've used it all the time um, for everything and it just, it works. It really does work. I've seen people get jobs, I've seen people find solutions, all sorts of things, sell houses, just by opening the front door. Don't have to do a thing. Um, the second thing I've put down here 
is be aware of the clutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is that clutter? And three main parts to really be keen to look at is your front door. You can trip over the gumboots, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, Your kitchen. And that's, that's the health of the home mm-hmm. where you're preparing food. And also the main bedroom. So, you know, those three areas, if there's clutter in any of those, you'll find it will turn up in relationships, in health, or in career. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's playing with that. Yeah, interesting. And you ask about the harmony. Um, what do you mean by harmony? Is it family harmony you want? It's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> do you want work harmony or, or work to flow to you? Do you want um, more a change in direction of how you work mm. or do you want to know more about yourself? Mm, I think so, those are great questions for everyone, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so harmony is is something that you really got to strip down, like everything here, you've got to strip it back mm. to actually see what the question is that you're really asking. Yeah. <laughs> Get very curious, as yeah. I always say, what is actually going on? Because yes. you won't shift energy unless you are clear. So you have to dig deeper and really articulate. You have articulate. to say, what, what do I want here? Yeah. What don't I like here? Um, what to, what um, can I do here? There's, yeah. so, there's so many questions that can come up so that you can actually get to, to see how, um, how you live in your home mm. and be connected to your home, as yeah. I said. Because um, your home is a container. It's holding you. Yeah. And we, we know what we want but we don't recognise that the home is actually housing you. Yes. Because Fensway works on three areas, from the cosmos energy, which I talked about coming into the house, you and your home, and then your environment, what you actually ground to live on. Mm. And each has got its own energy level. Wow. And so if you get energy that's misaligned in the cosmos, like um, Mercury retrograde, <laughs> or you are very um, vague about what you want in your life, or if the earth needs some healing. So that will show up and that will affect the other two layers. Wow. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of um, reflection and awareness required of all of us, isn't it, to kind of proceed that thinking? It's a a whole way of looking at how you Mm. live. And um, it's much more than something from a Women's Weekly magazine. <laughs> and but that's what got me because you can use this for anything. Yes. You know, you can use it to attract things, you can use it to um, make yourself a better person, you can use it for family life. It's mm. it, it's just what you want to do with it. Do you think that people um, necessarily understand when the ground or the, the place that they live on the environment needs healing? Is that yes, always they do. People do know. And that's that's one of the first questions I'll ask somebody. And they just say, it's just not right. I don't feel good here. Or um, it's that spot over there. Or, um, yeah, our awareness is is quite magnificent, really. (laughs) And the same with your home. You know how you say, I just can't get this room right. You Mm. hear that quite a lot. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we do know. Yeah. <laughs> and we do know what we want too. It's all in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Rosemary. Okay. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Rosemary today. If you'd like to find out more about the work that Rosemary does, visit her website, equate.net.nz. 
Sung San, a Korean Zen master, would ask his students questions such as, what is love? What is consciousness? Where did your life come from? What's going to happen to you tomorrow? Each time the students would answer, I don't know. Good, he would reply. Keep this don't know mind. It is an open, clear mind. So today we're talking about beginner's mind. What is beginner's mind? Well, it is the opportunity to drop our expectations and preconceived ideas about something and see things with an open mind, with fresh eyes, just like a beginner would. So if you've ever learned something new, you'll, you will have had beginner's mind. You've probably been confused because you don't know how to do whatever you're learning, but you're also looking at everything as if it's brand new, perhaps with curiosity and with wonder. That is beginner's mind and it's a great place to be. So I thought I'd explain how I approach beginner's mind as an artist and how it helps me work in the studio and it helps me love what I do. So part of my process as an abstract painter is to have quite a few different paintings and creative experiments going on at any one time. So these range from small squares of paper to art card, A3 and A2 foam core board and small and large canvases. They all carry different lines of painterly thought and ideas and they're all at different stages of evolution, a friendly kind of chaos if you like. One of the things that appeals to me most about this approach is that it takes the pressure off thinking about the end point, about a finished piece of work. As humans, we love working out of our logical mindsets and we love seeking to have control of things. What will it look like when it's finished? What is the end? How will I know when I get there? But with abstract painting, that is just not the way it works for me. I never know how a finished artwork is going to look. I never know when a finished artwork is going to be finished. It's different every time and the work evolves as I spend time on it. Each piece may take a hundred different turns before I figure it out and so I find approaching my painting practice with beginner's mind is the perfect mechanism. It gives me permission to begin fresh each day without needing to know anything else other than the fact that I've turned up. I've got paint to play with, I've got the time and space to see where the journey takes me and I just have fun with it. And to me that's what makes my painting practice so joyful. To me, this is what beginner's mind is about. It's about being okay with not having the answer, taking the opportunity to be in the moment without expectation and seeing what unfolds. The mindset required to paint without expectation does require practice, but in fact, it's also just a natural fit with our humanity. As humans, we are different individuals every single day. Now for me, I love getting up in the early mornings. So I get up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I have our little gorgeous puppy Magic, who's my alarm clock, who doesn't let me sleep a minute past the painting hour. But I know that I wake up feeling different on most mornings. Sometimes I've had a really good sleep. Uh, other nights I've been more restless. And that really informs what I actually spend time on when I'm painting in the studio. If I've had a really good deep restful sleep, I might get stuck straight away into a big piece of work. I might be feeling ambitious, emboldened, really, really connected to my intuitive creativity. But if I've slept lightly, I may not have that connection to that creative source. I might turn my attention to some smaller experiments that are less intimidating, and I might simply play, doodle and draw and just fiddle around really. All of the options are actually good ones, but each option delivers different things, and each day my creative output looks completely different. One of the additional benefits of having lots of work on the go at any one time is that it gives each piece time to rest. So for example, I have about 50 painting experiments underway on A4 and A3 art card, 
which is kind of thick 300 GSM art paper that can handle a certain amount of paint. When I paint it on my art card, I let it dry and then I put it under a weight, which is possibly just another, another big block of paper. So when I flatten things and when they're underweight in the studio, they are completely hidden from my sight. And I've got a lot of these stacks around the studio of pieces of art that are just waiting to kind of settle back down into a flattened state. It's amazing. It's actually very, very helpful for me because I'm not seeing that artwork. It's completely out of my eyesight and I don't think about it. Very often, I actually forget that I've even done it. So I forget about it. And then when the artwork comes out from under its weight, it's really like I'm seeing it for the first time. New things jump out at me. I very often find that I instinctively now know what to do next. So I'll dabble, I'll add a few splashes of paint, a few lines with markers. And then it's quite likely that with the drying and flattening process, I'll put it away and I won't see it again for ages. And then I'll just forget about it and I'll bring it out again and I'll start fresh. It allows me to approach artworks from a new perspective every day. And it means I don't have to have the full answer to an artwork uh, in my head all the time because the answer is different every day. And so a painting evolves and takes a journey that I can't anticipate because I never know how I'm going to feel. I never know what is gonna motivate me to take the next step and what I will see on any given day that helps that work evolve. I really think that there's a nice analogy for living here. It's about taking a step every day and just living your life day by day, being playful in each moment, being okay with not having the complete answer. All that you need to have is the desire to take a step, to experiment and to have faith that you'll find your way. So whether it's finding your way to a finished artwork, finding your way to completing a goal, um, it can be done by playing, exploring and experimenting in each moment. Embrace the chaos, embrace not knowing and enjoy the freedom of beginning. Well, that's it for us today. I'm signing off. If you're enjoying the podcast, do leave a review. That'll help other people find the podcast and enjoy it as well. See you next time.